Hello, and today we have Dr. Chase Anderson as a guest on the podcast Leadership in Medicine. Dr. Chase Anderson is going to talk about LGBTQ community and his experiences as a physician in LGBTQ community. So, um, Dr. Chase, I will begin with introductions. Um, You graduated from MIT with mm-hmm. an undergraduate in biochemistry. Is that correct? Uh, undergraduate in chemistry and then graduate school was bioengineering. So, Right. Can you tell us a little bit more about your, um, how did you, about your life path and how did you become interested in chemistry? And then um, why did you choose psychiatry uh, later on? Yeah, that's an excellent question, because whenever I had to interview in med school and later on, people thought it was weird that I had switched so drastically. Um, I became interested in chemistry since a very young age, actually. I was that kid who, like, I built train sets that would, like, go across our whole basement, and, like, I had eight trains running. So I was always about the, like, minutia of how things run um, and how do, like, things interlock with each other and how do you, like, build reactions. Um, And then in high school, AP chemistry was one of my favorite courses. I really was like that little like gay nerd who loved everything and loved to like just learning. But chemistry always like was a beautiful thing to me of how you can like bring together different parts to make something new. Um, And then I went to med school or, or well, I went to college first. And then I didn't know if I wanted to do med school yet. So I decided to do a master's. Um, And in my department, you couldn't be in chemistry and then like go to graduate school in chemistry. They just like didn't allow it. So I was like, oh, I'll do bioengineering and stay with my same lab. So I just like moved fields. Um, And I really loved bioengineering too, because it's also about like building things and like creating new things um Mm -hmm. I think creating stuff is like what I love doing um and then it was 3 a.m and I was doing an experiment and I hadn't seen my friends in a couple days and I was like oh I need to like not do lab so I need to interact (laughs) with people um so decided to go to med school and then in med school we had Med school was rough for me. Um, I'm more than open to sharing more about that, um, but I've written about it extensively. But being Black and gay in med school was a lot. Um, And we actually had two classmates pass away in my second year, and I was class president, so helping our class through that um, and just getting with people was, like, a big thing. And I realized what I had loved about MIT wasn't just the work, in the knowledge that you gain, but I really love the friendships where we would sit with each other when we first met until dawn sharing our stories. And I was like, Oh, you've been doing this your whole life. Um, and this is what you love. And like I, at MIT, I got to see people change and grow and I changed and grew from understanding the context in which a person's life gets them to where they are mm-hmm. um, and how they want to like, everybody has dreams. Um, and I wanted to foster those yeah. dreams. So then I, went into my first rotation for third year and it was psychiatry and I got to see my resident create space for somebody to open up and share some pretty personal details. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's what I've been doing. So like, why not <laughs> go into the field that I'm already like yeah. ready for? Um, 
And then I was always going to do child. Um, I had planned to be a pediatric oncologist, Mm -hmm. but then I realized that they weren't talking to the kids as much sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, pediatric psychiatry, I get to just sit with kids and talk and like laugh and like be myself. Um, So that's a little bit about my journey. I'm more than open to sharing more as well. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And this is exactly what I wanted to hear from you. Um, so can you talk about your, um, how and when did you come out with your parents, with your friends? How was that experience? Did that change, um, you know, how you thought and felt about, you know, um, yourself and how did your family react? How did your friends react? Um, Yeah. What was the process? Um, So coming out for me, um, at home so I came out in fifth grade so I like knew pretty early and I even knew a couple years earlier like I had started having dreams about guys and I was that precocious little kid who like was reading a lot and like knew a lot of things and my parents were very like I live in a very sciencey family my dad is a pediatric anesthesiologist Mm -hmm. um, and my mom did like lab work and my sister like did human evolutionary biology in college like very sciencey. So I was always that kid who liked to read and understand myself and other people. Um, and when I came out in fifth grade, it was, there were struggles at home with my dad a little bit. Um, what I came to realize as I got older was he was being, he was very scared because I was growing up during the end of the AIDS crisis. Um, and I was black and gay mm-hmm. and like, there's just, a, it's a lot of fear that came out of that. Um, he and I have a wonderful relationship. It took like some time and some conversations, but um, he's one of my biggest supporters. And he actually, what was really cute was when he came to MIT, kids were coming up to him, like my friends and saying, thank you for your son being out and like being here. And like, we just love him so much. And my dad, I think really got that, like me being out helped a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mom was always super supportive and like awesome. And my sister was also super supportive. Um, I went back in the closet at home for a little bit because of some of those interactions though. Um, and then came out again, officially at home junior year. Like you could always tell, but like, I just didn't say it. Um, and then in school, when I was in sixth grade, it was fine at the beginning. And I was at, in California, Southern California, and all my friends were great. Um, then I moved to a private Catholic school in Seattle and oh, wow. that was, it was a choice. Um, looking back, I would never like, I, unless things, unless things have changed, I wouldn't send my kid who was LGBT to a private Catholic school that was mainly white. Um, so it was, I had to learn very quickly how to socially maneuver myself to mm-hmm. protect myself. Um, there was actually a lot of bullying that happened through seventh and eighth grade and then high school as well. Um, But that's why I also love MIT was even though sometimes there were a couple issues that happened, Mm -hmm. I got to spread my wings and people were like, you being black and gay are some of the most beautiful aspects of you. And like, they make you who you are. They make you this person who like wants to change the world. And let's, we will work together to like celebrate that and celebrate you. And so I got to celebrate my friends too. And there are like different various aspects of identity. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Um, So one of the things I want to focus more on is obviously your experiences. And um, let's just put it out there that we're not trying to blame an institution or, you know, we're not 
naming names. We're not, this is not about, you know, blaming or, um, you know, uh, it's just about sharing our experiences and making sure that other people who go through a similar experience have a better, um, you know, experience than a lot of other people. So can you tell us about um, what do you think that your earlier experiences that were um, not so pleasant, they kind of paved the way for your future as a psychiatrist? Do you think that you've become a more empathetic person? Yes. Um, First, I also want to bring up, I completely agree with you. For me, it's never about blaming any place. It's never about blaming people. It's very much more of like, if this happened to me, what is happening to other people who are similar in aspects of identity? Um, Because if it happened to me, it happened to other people. And I think you're very right that my early experiences paved the way to becoming a psychiatrist and MIT actually paved the way in so many different ways, not only for saving my life. I talk about my own mental health, but I had depression, suicidal ideation for a long time. Um, I don't anymore because I'm in a safe space, but those experiences at MIT also paved the way for like, it is right to speak up. Mm -hmm. um, It's right to be your authentic self, even though it's sometimes hard. Um, I think it may, it did make me more empathetic um, or empathic. Um, because I remember when I was growing up and in high school, because of the bullying I was experiencing, I was very cold in some ways and calculating. And like, mm-hmm. I was that person who was like top of our class in a lot of ways. And I always had something to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, MIT helped me relax that in a lot of ways too, and just be more thoughtful about how everybody else is going through things. Um okay. And also why not bond with other people who are having a hard time instead of trying to just do things on my own. And I've seen that play out so beautifully. And that's what I try to do with patients is like, they are all going through things, Mm -hmm. but they just need a safe space. They need somebody who will listen and sit with them and hold their hand as they go through like pretty dark moments. Yeah. Um, So I think my whole life path has led to like being an authentic, like openly gay physician who also speaks about like racism and homophobia mm-hmm. and wants to just sit with people and be like, if you're not alone. Right. A lot of times we just need someone to validate, you know, what, I, what we are going through. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Validation is beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you spoke about, um, you know, having suicidal thoughts and bullying. And can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like what led to that? How did you feel? And especially what resources were available or not available that you feel can help Mm. other people who are going through similar experience? Yeah. um, So when things didn't go well in seventh grade, um, I started having these thoughts and I couldn't figure out what was going on, but I was like, I don't want to be alive. Um, Then it got worse, actually. I won't say, like, how it got worse, but I actually, like, had things where I had two suicide attempts that nobody really knew about until, when did I start talking about it? Until the end of med school. Um, And I just, I woke up the next day and was fine. Um, And I think I just didn't know when I was younger what was going on inside my head. um, Because, like, yeah. It was no longer just about school. It was no longer just about socially navigating, like being gay and black. It became like, how do I survive? Because mm-hmm. there's something going on in my head 
and I can't, I know it's not good, but I don't know what it is. And I don't know who to ask for help because I feel so isolated. Um, My sister helped save my life in a lot of ways back then. She and I would actually like, because we were both having experiences being black in Seattle, um, would go into each other's rooms at night and actually talk about how our days were. So I think we were actually therapizing each other. Um, but she saved my life in a lot of ways and helped get me through a lot of things. And I, in turn, like, was that safe space for her. Um, so I think back in the day, I wish people had created the space that I'm trying to create and others are trying to create where kids can talk about this more openly from the get-go. Because, like, kids don't, I didn't have the verbiage. I didn't know what depression was. I just was having these thoughts. Um, and I had to navigate on my own. But if somebody asked you, like, hey, sometimes people have these thoughts that are pretty bad where they want to hurt themselves because of like bullying they're experiencing or like troubling times that they're experiencing. Does that ever happen to you? That would have opened up like, then I could have gone to therapy. I could have done other things. Um, And so I think asking those questions is something that we really need to start doing more of, of like, how do you actually feel and what's going on inside your head? That starts when we're young. Um, The other thing is I think teachers, I think are doing this more now in schools, but talking about depression and anxiety and stuff um, more openly in school, because like, yes, we'll learn math, we'll learn science, we'll learn like literature. Who are we going to be as people? Um, And how do we support each other during that time? Um, Yeah, those are a couple of other things. Any other questions on that front? Um, No, I just a little bit more about, uh, did you have similar experiences in your workplace? And I know that a lot of um, LGBTQ physicians do feel that they are somehow treated differently at the workplace. Um, have you had similar experiences or would you like to talk about some things, you know, your friends may have shared or other physicians? Yeah. That's an excellent question too. I think, yes, I have been treated differently. Um, so part of my expression of myself is like the way my voice inflects or like how I show up in a room. It's just Mm -hmm. like, it's a natural part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most damaging things was MIT taught me that like being different was great and being different was beautiful. And like, we were all different. I went to med school and it very much tries to just mold you into like what they think a physician looks like. And I would get comments like this was one time from a supervisor after I was being bullied during my first year by classmates. And like, I had issues with deans and things like that. Things got better because I like worked really hard um, to make them better. But the second year, I remember he was like, oh, I'm glad you're so much tougher this year. Instead of saying, wow, these people have done some really horrible things. How do I support you through this? Um, There were things about like me not wearing a tie and nobody asked me why I didn't wear ties. Um, Part of it is like my expression of self, but also I don't wear ties because when I wear them, I'm already anxious at baseline. It feels like I'm choking. Um, And the other things were like doing my, I have an earring um, and people made comments about that. And the thing was patients never cared. Patients are there to like get care and be treated like a person. It was always faculty or staff who said things. Um, I also have to think about how I inflect my voice to not seem threatening. People have a lot of stereotypes about what gay people present as. And if you stand up to those stereotypes, it makes people like balk 
very quickly. Yeah. I've never seen that happen. Right? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt you. I, I said it feels, uh, people feel threatened at times, if you like. Yes. You're simply defending yourself. I mean, you're just, you know, being yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But it makes yeah. people feel threatened somehow. Yes. Um, one of my friends said that when I show up in a room, it causes people to like, have this internal discombobulation because (laughs) I'm showing up as like a confident gay black male and that's usually something they haven't seen and then they have all these biases that come out and then they project them onto me um that hasn't happened at my current program at UCSF I'm like I really love being here I have never been called unprofessional I have never had an issue with like somebody being like with staff members being bullying or anything like that. And because of that, that's actually allowed me to do all the writing I've done and reach out on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I didn't have the time to do that in med school and residency because I was so often trying to calculate how do I get through my day as a black gay person? Yeah, absolutely. But it's, I mean, I think you're changing the world by your, I read your Twitter feeds and it's so interesting and so amazing. And it's really, I'm sure a lot of people can, um, they resonate with what you're, you know, speaking about because there are lots of people out there. I know um, a lot of my gay friends who had um, a lot of untoward experiences, also uh, the trans uh, physicians, you know, Mm -hmm. um, they get bullied a lot. They get stereotyped and, um, you know, there are lots of biases. So can you talk a little bit more about the stereotypes and biases that you feel exist in the medical community regarding the LGBTQ physicians and how can we change that? Yeah, um, I think one of the things is is that people assume gay people don't stand up for themselves or like we're kind of flighty or not as smart in some ways. And that happens with like minoritized people in general in medicine. People assume we're not as smart. Um, And the other thing is that oh, we're going to, some people even still have the thought we're going to turn people gay or we're going to like make people gay by like just being there. And I'm like, what? if I'm not- Okay, I have to stop you here. What do you mean? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's still a thing. Like people like, have those- people think lives. you can make people gay by like- Yep, after going through- like being in the same environment. Yep, yeah, it's, I guess it's I- like contagious. Yeah, we're, it's a gay contagion apparently. And oh my God. so there's that kind of stuff that we just have to go up against every day and I think some of the other biases are that we just I remember I had a classmate who asked if I got into med school because they had a certain amount of spots reserved for gay people oh my god yeah and I sat there yeah and I was like no I have two degrees from MIT and like did a lot of extracurriculars But in that moment, I remember I didn't know what to say. Now I do because I've had so much practice. But at that time, like it was, it made me feel ashamed. Like I didn't deserve my spot. Yeah. Um, And so that's the things people have to contend with every day. There's also like how you present yourself and people, I've had people say in psychiatry, especially we need, um, this was during residency, people said, oh, we need you to be a blank slate, or, like, when you enter the room, it should be about, like, just the patient, it's not about you, and I was like, yeah, you're right, it's not about me, however, 
you have the luxury of showing up as a white person in the room. I have to show up as a black gay person, navigate that with my attendings, navigate that with staff members, navigate that with the patient if it comes up. And it probably won't because the patient is not as biased as you and is here to get care. (laughs) But I had to have several conversations about that and point out that even when somebody white shows up in the room, if they're wearing glasses, that tips off somebody to like think a certain way. They're wearing a wedding ring. Like nobody enters the room as a blank slate. Yeah. So teach us how to deal with when somebody does say something instead. Right. Um, I think what could change is there's a lot of this thing, like I call it lip service where people say, oh, we'll make things better or we're really mm-hmm. listening, but nothing changes at certain mm-hmm. places. So how do you actually sit with that moment of like somebody opening up about their struggles about being a LGBT physician? And how do you make changes after? Because you can say you have policies, you can say you are thinking about changing things, but until you do, the people who are suffering are the ones who are LGBTQ plus, who have already been through enough. Um, I think something else that would help is building safe spaces for those LGBTQ plus physicians to actually interact with each other and find each other. That's mm-hmm. why I do that stuff on Twitter of yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like the roll calls because yeah. I just, it was started by somebody else. And then like, it kind of faded for a little bit. And then when I was under a pseudonym, because I was scared of my previous university on Twitter, I started doing that more often because I saw how alone some people felt. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, maybe we can build a better community. Um, So I think building community is something that's really important for gay people in general. And I'm sure just talking about it, you know, that was my whole idea to just like get the word out and like talk about it and, you know, um, you know, create these safe spaces where people can talk about the challenges they had and make it easier for others. Yes. Yeah. I think there's this thing that also happens in medicine It happens in the world too, but it's called the legacy of abuse where people went through bad times during their training. So then they like internalize that. Then when they have power, they start to do that to other people. And so I think what we're trying to do as a generation right now is like break that cycle a little bit. And you're right. It comes from talking about it. It comes from just like saying, no, this is not appropriate. Yeah. Like let's be better. Awareness around that subject. Yes. Yeah. And I remember one of your tweets you mentioned, and I found it like, do we really need to say that? That homophilia, <laughs> homophobia is not like being gay is not about being a pedophile. And I, mm-hmm. was, I was horrified. Like, do people actually think like that? Yes. Yeah. If you go on the news and like any conservative like area, they've moved more away from it because now they're attacking transgender people more. However, it still comes up where they say that gays are pedophiles and they don't, it's just, it still comes up. And I always think about if that's being said so openly, what kind of biases are physicians also coming in with around gay people too? That is so true. I love your hair, by the way. And (laughs) I do. (laughs) I love your hair. Is there a story behind this too? Yes. Um, So. I, when I was leaving med school, I had always had kept my hair pretty short. This was part of like the internalized racism that I had had of like, I didn't like when my hair would grow out and it would be curly. And I was like, it's really time to just like, and also I did soccer and track. So I was like, I need to be aerodynamic. Um, But (laughs) I realized I just wanted to like be myself more 
especially as I entered residency. And so I grew my hair out and went to a salon and we did like blonde highlights. And so since then, I've never gone back because even though in residency, people said things sometimes, patients loved it. It helps them open up and they're like, this will be a psychiatrist I can share like my suicidality with. And he's not going to judge me for anything because like he's showing up and just like doesn't wear a tie. He like, I've had attendings say that patients open up faster than like usual with me. And I think that's because like the hair and like other things, like I don't come across as somebody who's going to judge you because like, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to just sit with you and let you figure out how to help you be your best self. And so the current hair color, so in case people, because people can't see it, I think is pink on one side and then purple on the other side. And uh, the salon I went to, we did that because Cruella was coming out. And so we (laughs) thought like, why don't we do a gay Cruella? And so that's how that came out of it. Oh, wow. That's like excellent. And I know that uh, you always talk about like unicorns and like, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I knew that that's a part of the whole yeah that's That's the whole image yeah Yeah, right um that's amazing another the last question um do you feel judged or do you feel that when you put yourself out there on social media do you feel at times that people may have a negative perception of you somehow um Mm. you feel scared sharing certain aspects of your life I know you, yeah. I know I've seen your parties and I get a serious case of FOMO just looking at that. <laughs> you guys have the most fabulous parties. But um, other than that, do you feel judged at times? And do you feel scared? Um, I do feel scared still. Um, that's actually a question most people don't ask me. So I appreciate you asking that. Um, I, so when I write these articles and stuff, it's putting a lot of myself out there. Yeah. And most 99.9% of it is great. I've had people like say the N word to me online and like write me personal messages about like how I advocate and things like that. And also I've had people find my like website that I have and then like say that they were going to like tell UCSF I was like a horrible person and had like done horrible things. And I was like, I actually had to talk to my program director once just to like, she like nothing had come down the pipeline, but because somebody sent that email, I talked to her and I was like, there's this email. And she was like, Oh, that person seems so unhinged. And like, but it was scary for me as a person because there's somebody sitting there and I don't know what they could do. Yeah. Um, like I, could they see me on the street? Cause people have recognized me on the street because of the hair and like actually stopped me and said, hello. And like, they've all been great, but it's it could be somebody who isn't um and so she actually it was interesting because she's like I realized that you put these articles out there and you do this stuff but I think it was the first time she saw how dangerous sometimes it can be to be that open like getting called the n-word I've gotten called that so many times like in my daily life to have somebody do it online means they sat there and took the time to do that and like say things about gay people or so I do get scared sometimes because of like how vitriolic people can be. Mm-hmm. However, that's only like a sliver. Um, and I actually enact very appropriate barriers very quickly. Like I block people or I report them very quickly. Okay. Um, 
so I know what to do but like then I also think about this is happening to other like LGBT yeah. people who are putting themselves out there and that's scary um that there is that much hate when just people are just trying to live um but I think overall social media has been a leveling platform for me and for a lot of minoritized physicians right? because we were getting shut out so often in our own universities previously. And also because we were getting shut out of like sending in articles to places because we're talking about race and like diversity yeah. too much. Yeah. Um, so Twitter gave us a way to have a voice. So I have loved Twitter. Sometimes I take breaks because I'm just like, this is a lot, yeah. but I think it has been a uniting force in a way that I didn't expect. Right. So. so you're enjoying it. I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. And like, if it's not fun and I realize I'm getting like anxious about like going on Twitter or what could be happening on Twitter, then I'm just like, maybe you need a little break. Right. right. Okay. Personal question. Do you get asked out a lot because of like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Um. so Yes. Um, and, and how are those experiences like? <laughs> no, that's what, like, I love that we're going into this. Um, I, right now, I am just hanging out with people and hanging out is a loose term that I'm going to use for it. So you're um, single? Yes, I am single right now. Okay. And I... He's an eligible single. Yes, I am very single. <laughs> I am just hanging out with people. And when I moved to SF, I realized that, like, because the environment was so safe, it was the first time I really just got to be by myself and not have to like fix a university or fix like different things or like deal with homophobia and racism every day. So I was like, take this time for yourself to just like explore like who you are sexually, who you are, like when you relate to other people sexually, like explore just like being single. Um, And so I'm open to dating if the right person comes along, but I also have to be careful that it doesn't end up being like, I'm their psychiatrist. Um, (laughs) And so like the mom and you're not the therapist. Yes. I am not either of those things. I am here to like, I'm here to be a whole person when I meet somebody who is also a whole person. Mm -hmm. Yes. We will work through things, but also let's be whole people and then create something new. So like chemistry all over again. Um, So yeah, single and exploring life. Right. And I'm sure you're going to find someone really fabulous because you are fabulous too. (laughs) Um, And I'm your voice is so soothing. It's really. I'm sure. Yeah, I was just about to comment on that, but you were talking. It's so soothing and it's so relaxing. I'm sure your patients enjoy it too. The kids are just like they kind of. It's cute because when somebody's like a little bit ramped up, I just like use that voice and like it helps them settle because it's. Yeah. I try to be a grounded presence, even though I'm like energetic, there's a way to do it where it's like settles people around you. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you so much, Chase, for taking time out. And uh, thank you for sharing such personal details with me. And I'm sure it's going to go a long way in helping other people who are going through similar experiences or people from the LGBT community who feel they need a safe space to talk about their experiences. Thank you. And I know it's a Saturday. It's an early morning. (laughs) And you took time out for this. So I'm really grateful for this. I'm grateful to be here. And thank you for providing a platform for these kind of voices. Definitely. We'll continue to have these conversations. The whole idea is to get the word out and, um, you know, talk to as many people as we can and create these kind of changes that are necessary moving forward. 
Agreed. All right. Great. Thank you, 